I must admit that I never identified very much with Nicodemus. After, after all, he was a man and he was a religious leader who seemed so tied to tradition and the old ways. He was too cautious and connected to the authorities who were trying to silence Jesus. Yet, as I have read and reread today's texts from John 3, I found myself feeling much more sympathetic to this man, to the questions he had, and his struggle to understand who Jesus was and what Jesus was teaching. It's interesting that John's Gospel notes that Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night. It could have been simply that it was cooler then or quieter without the noise and jostle of the crowds which always seemed to be present around Jesus. Yet I doubt that John would have recorded this detail if it was that simple. No, I suspect that this is an early hint of trouble ahead for Jesus. After all, Jesus had just cleansed the temple and was being asked to show what gave him the right to do such a thing. And only two chapters later, in chapter 5, after Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, John says straight out that the leaders started to persecute Jesus and seek to kill him. So I suspect that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because it was safer. He could talk with Jesus without being identified with this troublemaking group. He could ask his questions without committing himself or jeopardizing his own standing as a leader. And perhaps that's why Jesus challenged him. Nicodemus started off with some very nice compliments, but, but Jesus was having none of it and met him head on. You can't see God's kingdom, God's way of doing things, unless you are born again. Or as Gordon Cosby put it, Jesus said, you can't understand what I'm talking about until you've been born again. In other words, you have to reposition yourself or put yourself in a different place in order to understand what I am doing. Cosby continues, to be born again means to leave the realm of this culture and be born, be born into a new realm and live out of that realm for the rest of your life. It's like moving to a new country where the climate, the food, and the clothes, the language, and the culture are all different. You can't know what that is like until you're there. And so we can't see God's world, the world where God's will is done, until we commit ourselves and are born with new eyes, a new understanding, a new worldview. And this isn't just about moving from this life to the next, from earth to heaven, but it's a new existence right here, right now. A commitment to learning values and assumptions that are different from the way the world normally works and that are built on the way that God intended for us to live. It really is like being born, moving from a dark, comfortable, secure space to one that is full of light, color, and movement, full of wonder and delight. And yet this world is also scarier, with more danger and more pain. And yet the truth is, we would die if we'd refused to be born. When we're in our mother's womb, it becomes increasingly tight, and there comes a time when if we want to live, being born is the only option. 
Still, it's a huge leap to make. And especially for those who have much to lose, it can be harder to make the move. I know that I am cautious much more than I like to admit. It's hard to take a stand that might result in pushback. It's hard to be identified with troublemakers or to step out of what is comfortable. Pastor Ron put it well in his recent piece in the Mennonite. The common wisdom is to look before you leap. Don't be impulsive. Don't take unnecessary risks. And surely Nicodemus must have felt this way. Even though Jesus fascinated him and he was attracted to this movement, he wanted to be careful and learn more about what Jesus had in mind before committing himself. But maybe it was more than that. Maybe Nicodemus had trouble believing that there is another way, that another world is possible. We look around and the world seems so tightly controlled by those who dominate and hoard and exploit. And we wonder, can there be another way? Can there be a place where God's will does operate, where people honor life and one another? Can there be healing and new birth? In the past few weeks, two people have asked me a similar question. Can there be healing when someone has been terribly wounded or deeply hurt by one's family or life circumstances? We want to believe in healing and hope, and yet some situations feel so hopeless. And how we long for a new start, to be born again. How do we believe that this is what God offers, that God's spirit can recreate can make us live again, not just in some future time in heaven, but even now, beginning on earth. Some years ago, I was privileged to participate in a learning tour to Mexico to learn more about the experiences of women in Central America and to understand more about why they choose to come to the U.S. and what happens to them along the way. We learned so very much that was hard to hear much about desperation and oppression and violence. Nevertheless, while we were there, we found these beautiful posters, and I put two of them up here in the front. Um, and if, if you can't see them now, you can come forward afterwards and look at them. Um, I found that they were so beautiful in picturing a different world, a world of abundance, of solidarity, of justice and equality, of caring for and not destroying the earth. They are wonderful in the way they imagine and even declare that yes, another world is possible. And, uh, and so they've been an inspiration to me um, over these years as I, as I continue to look at them and, and ponder their beauty. They remind me of creation, really, when God's spirit moved over the waters and began to form life out of the void and chaos of the deep and created the Garden of Eden. And now, here in John 3, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that God's Spirit is moving again and creating something new. And yet, it's not all that new. And this is where I think Jesus was pretty exasperated with Nicodemus. Why was it so hard for him to understand? He was a teacher of Israel. And yet, he couldn't comprehend that God's spirit was moving again and doing what God has been doing from the beginning, from creation. 
And it's like what God did in calling Abram and Sarah. It only seems new because we've come to accept living in a world that does not follow God's will. When God created the world and humankind, there was abundance and joy. And God created an ordinary couple who would represent and carry out God's will on earth. In the same way, God called Abram and Sarah, again, an ordinary family. And I think this is really an audacious thing to think, that God would choose them as ordinary people and promise to make them into a great nation. They would be a blessing to others. I think what we don't often emphasize is that God didn't choose a king or a ruling class or a strong army to represent God and carry out God's will on earth. Rather, God used ordinary people. And God urged them throughout the whole Old Testament to work together and form social systems which provided enough for everyone, even the widows, the orphans, and the strangers. And even when Israel had a king, the king was not the one who spoke for God. Instead, God spoke through the prophets, who repeatedly challenged the people to return to a more just and equal society and to use the earth's resources and beauty to provide for the needs of all and not just a special few. I think this is part of what Jesus was getting at when he cleansed the temple. He had just come from a wedding feast at Cana where he had helped make sure there was enough food and drink to share with everyone. A wonderful symbol, really, of the abundance and joy of creation. By contrast, the temple had become a very unjust institution, which allowed a small group of priests and those who collaborated with the Roman occupation to suck up the resources and labor of the people. Instead of nurturing and comforting them, it exploited and took their livelihoods so that a few people lived in large, elaborate palaces, while many lost their land and faced hunger and illness. I'm afraid that Nicodemus had come to accept that this was normal, that this was okay with God, perhaps even what God wanted. But Jesus was asking him to think again and to remember God's spirit at creation and what God had been saying all along through the prophets. This would require going back to the beginning. He would need to be born anew. It's interesting that just after this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went into the countryside and were baptizing people. And I think in that time, this was a very dramatic symbol of what Jesus meant about being born again, being being born of water and the Spirit. It was a process of repenting, of turning, and committing oneself to a new way of life that was outside the control of the temple and the ruling class. It was a popular movement of reform and recommitment to live according to God's will. And of course, this practice was continued in the early church. Alan Kreider, who has studied much about early Christian practices with regard to conversion, describes how becoming a Christian involved an extensive process of teaching and re-socialization in order to change one's beliefs, one's behavior, and one's sense of belonging. So that when one, was bapt- when one was baptized, it really did symbolize moving from one way of life into another. Well, where does this leave us? Where does this leave me? I want to believe I have been baptized. I want to live as God intended and participate in God's work on earth. 
but it is still hard to believe that God can make it so. Although I love this vision of a just and equal world, I must admit that there is part of me that wants a quick fix. Wouldn't it be wonderful if a powerful figure, a king, and a big army could come and straighten everything out, mend everything, and help us start over? And we know that there are many places in the world where this is really needed. We need, not that we need a, a big army, but we do need, uh, there are so many places that need uh, a rebirth. And yet, God has not given us a king or an army. Rather, God works with us and loves us in all our humanness. In fact, God so loved the world and sent God's Son so that if we believe, we may have this new life forever. Fortunately, there are signs of God's love all around us, whispers of the wind of God at work. And I will name a few uh, of these for me. Spring, of course, is a time of wonder. As I've gotten older, this has become ever more remarkable for me, how the earth has which has been so brown and so dead for so long, can come to life with the colors of green and yellow and all the colors of the rainbow. I'm often amazed by the resilience that people have, even after, experience after experiencing tragedy and great woundedness. I marvel how people can come through this and then share love, kindness, and wisdom with others. I marvel at the way our bodies and our earth can heal. We know this isn't always possible, but still it is miraculous how much physical healing does and can take place. I marvel at the passion and energy of those who, who work to protect children and other vulnerable people from violence and abuse. The warmth and hospitality of those who open their homes to others the courage and creativity of those who organize and work to change unjust laws and unjust systems, the strength of those who follow their conscience, the wisdom that comes from hearing many voices from different perspectives, and the love and generosity people show to one another. These are all signs of hope, signs of new life, signs of new birth. Tiny shoots pushing up from the dead ground of the old world, the world that does not believe in God, the world that tries to fix things in its own way. And I would encourage all of us to continue thinking of and reflecting on those signs of hope around us and to share those with one another. One of the things that we uh, on the church board have started doing uh, this year is to reflect together uh, on where we see signs of life and God's work among us. And I think it's a way of helping to strengthen those tiny shoots, those tiny, fragile uh, signs of hope. For I think it still is hard to believe. Um, sometimes these signs of hope are so fragile, so small, and we fear they will be crushed. And so being born again does take imagination. It takes faith. Faith that what we see is not the whole story. And it takes courage, stepping out of the norm and taking risks and working hard to continue nurturing our faith and our hope and the signs of life around us. We are now in the season of Lent. 
And so we acknowledge that we are attracted to the old ways. We know the power of those who have much to lose. We know um, that there are many who would like to crush the signs of new life breaking loose. And yet, Jesus keeps moving forward, and we, need to fo- we know we need to follow. We want to follow. He has shown us the way to life, and we know we cannot turn around. And yet we tremble. Does this really lead to new life, to resurrection? And so we pray, oh God, give us courage and help us to believe and to keep believing.